Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gabby Freeland, joined this week by a special co-host, Kurt Chase Patrick, who will be joining the show to talk about all things UFC San Diego. That's right, UFC San Diego this weekend, live from, get it, San Diego. Uh, and we'll be breaking down that fight card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll go over some of the fights, give you guys some underdogs and some parlays that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. In addition to that, as always, I'm bringing you guys the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is an interview with Devin the Brown Bear Clark, who fights Azamat Mirzakhanov. And we'll be talking a little bit later on in the show with Tyson Nam, who is fighting O'Day Osborne on that same exact card. So we're going to get you all that great content right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready. For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and to me today is Devin Clark, who fights Azamat Mirzakhanov at UFC San Diego on August 13th. So, Devin, I wanted to start here. Uh, you know, when, when we scheduled this interview, you gave me a time and you said Colorado time. And, and at first that didn't quite register because, you know, I've always thought of you as a as a Jackson Wink guy, as, as being a uh, New Mexico guy. Now I see you're, you're training at Team Elevation a little bit. Is that a is that a permanent switch? Is that a, a fight camp switch? What, what, what exactly prompted that? Um, yeah, it's a permanent fight camp switch. Yep. Um, so I just, you know, I needed a little bit of different uh pace uh, i tried out um team elevation ended up really liking it i gel really well with the, with the coaches uh and the training partners we had um cody donovan and Vinny lopez are my main coaches now and you know they've really taken you know taken me and we, we kind of took a step back and and revisited some of my my basic stuff some of my footwork stuff some of my wrestling stuff and kind of re-engage you know where we're trying to go with that and just like you know putting together a good plan for it well i like that and, and now obviously you've had like a long career in the ufc with with his ups and downs what what mm-hmm. sort of what sort of prompted you to do this now and what's it like kind of learning from brand new coaches you know a little bit later in your career uh uh, to start, it, it's really good learn from new coaches. You know, kind of, I feel like that that new student again, uh, where I really have to pay attention um, and go over these new new ways of of doing things. Not necessarily new things, but different ways of doing them, um, and just like a different uh, different strategies and different setups. Even uh, looking at like the the setups of our our training, our our practices, um, it, it's a lot different and a little more. Um, what I'm used to when I grew up wrestling, it kind of just clicked with me. Um, and then, you know, the reason when the, there's a few different reasons I, uh, left Jackson Wink. One, you know, I, I was on a two fight. I think I lost two fights in a row or I think it was, I think it was just two. Um, <laughs> lost two in a row and, you know, I knew I needed to kind of switch something up. Um, then also, Albuquerque is a long ways away from South Dakota. My wife and daughter are in South Dakota. That's where I live. Um, so there was even more time away from them. And Denver's a lot closer, and it's easier to get in and out of here and go home and see them and stuff like that. 
Um, so it just kind of made sense to, to, you know, make that big decision of, of changing gyms. And then also it, it made me dedicate even, even more because I knew it was, it was a big risk. Um, I was going on my last fight of my contract and I knew I needed to win. So it, it was super risky switching gyms at that time, but, you know, I was fully committed fully engaged and I got here to the Denver ears open and just listened to the coaches and trusted them. And, you know, we ended up getting a W and a new contract. So. Yeah. And, and not just the W I, I do have to mention, it is your first big finish in the UFC. And not only did you do it, yeah. you did it uh, against William Knight, a guy who's notoriously not particularly easy to finish. T- tell me, yeah. uh, obviously even without just the, the contract stuff at the risk too, how good did it feel to be able to go out and get him out of there? Oh, it, there were so many emotions running through my mind after that fight. Um, like I said, new gym, end of the contract. There was a lot, of, a lot to prove, a lot to prove, and a lot could have went wrong. And you know, I would have been happy with the decision over him, but the new training didn't allow that. Um, the move that I actually got him out with was just like a, a, a drill that we would do on the bag same same sequence and everything is literally just a drill that we do not like not a specific combo that we were working on nothing like that it's just a drill that we do my body tapped into it at the right time and we were able to get our first uh finish so so just out of curiosity then do you feel like what you're doing now at elevation is is way more finish driven than than you were doing before perhaps or or maybe it just clicks with your body better that we're going to see more finishes out of you now now that you're there uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily uh, finish driven, but putting my feet in the right place was half of my problem um, all these years. And, you know, and, and nothing against Jackson Wink, uh, Mike Winklejohn and, and Chad Smith and, and uh, everybody out there, uh, Greg Jackson, um, you know, we, we worked on some really good stuff. And I think the focus just might have been a little bit off, you know, because I'm a guy with a lot of speed, a lot of power, and, and you know, that was kind of our main focus, and we kind of forgot a step with the feet. Um, put him, and we, we always tried to, you know, put him in the right place, but, you know, uh, working with Vinny Lopez, he just has such a good system for it. And working with these big guys, you can see what he did with, with Curtis Blades, also a big wrestler, um, and now he's really good at striking. Um, and a lot of that's just putting your feet in the right place. Absolutely. And and you, you mentioned some of the big training partners. I want to ask about that in a second, but I also want to ask about you being big as well, because this, this finish also came at heavyweight too. And granted, you know, you didn't weigh yeah. much more than 225 come fight time or, or come weigh in time, but is that something you're open to again in the future? Or is, is, is that a one and done kind of like a weirdo fight there? Um, I've always said like maybe after 35, I'll go to heavyweight. Um, but you know we'll we'll see we'll see we'll see how light heavyweight goes because light heavyweight is my division right now, and for now that was just a one-time deal. Uh, but I know as I get older, I'll get bigger, I'll get stronger, and it might make more sense for me to move up to heavyweight. Uh, but also being <laughs> in the room with the Curtis Blades, you realize I realize I'm not a I'm not a heavyweight. <laughs> you know, it's just there's different levels to it. Well, and I was going to ask you about that, too. Like, you, you've got some giants there, and not just Blades, too. you got the Ultimate Fighter finale, Zach Ponga, who, who's there as well, yep. who's a huge dude. Like, wh- what is it like being in the room with, like, so many of those guys? And, and guys with, with wrestling backgrounds like yourself, too. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, there's a lot of talent in this room, and you know we keep kind of a smaller big guy group, and we we uh, help each other out and and um, really push each other. And everybody has their own little thing that they do really well, um, but we all also try to stay well rounded in everything. So that's where the wrestling and the striking kind of kind of meets, and then also with with the footwork. Um, but yeah, it's been really good training with these guys and, you know, Curtis Blades, he's a high level wrestler, been in the UFC a long time, you know, top ranked guy. And then you got a guy like Zach who has done everything. He's in NFL, he's done rugby, uh, now MMA, he was a police officer. So it's, it's, you know, he has a lot of experience and he's an athlete, he's athletic and, and kind of everybody in the room is. So it, it, it makes for a good fit, uh, for a good push. That's awesome. Now, let, let's talk about what that pushes towards, which is this fight with Azamat Mirzakhanov. P- people have kind of been mixed on their thoughts about this guy. He, he's got like a big overhand right and clearly some knockout power. Sometimes it looks like he can wrestle, but but some say he's not really great at putting it all together. What are sort of your yeah. thoughts on Mirzakhanov? Uh, I mean, just that. He's a rookie. <laughs> I'm going to treat him like a rookie. Um, there's, you know, he's, he's, he's undefeated, but you know, who's he fought and stuff like that. And then that doesn't really matter. He might, he might be the next, next best guy in the world. Who knows? Um, but for now I'm treating him like a rookie and I'm going to fill it, uh, expose those things that he, that he's not good at, at putting together, you know, his transitions, his in-between stuff. You know, he might be able to wrestle a little bit. He can strike. Definitely. We know that. Um, but can he do that while I'm doing what I'm really good at, you know, uh, and that's being overall good, mixing up my wrestling, my striking, uh, different things, stuff like that. Can, can he deal with that? And if you haven't seen that before, um, which you see that at, in the USC, uh, you don't see that too much on the pro-am level, but, uh, you get to UFC, you see these guys with all these different talents, and they're the best at those talents. And I've seen a lot of those guys. Um, this is, I think, my 14th fight in the UFC. Uh, I've seen just about every style there is. Uh, so I'm going to take that into the fight with me, and, and that's definitely a lot of confidence there going into that. And, and like I said, he's the rookie. This is his second fight in the UFC. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you mentioned seeing a lot of different styles and a lot of different high-level opponents. Obviously, you, you main evented a UFC card against Anthony Smith. You know, you th- that's yeah. that's about as high as it goes right there. Do you find yeah. that it's dangerous to take a fight with a guy? Like you said, he, he's a rookie. He doesn't have much name value. You know, you're on a new contract now, so it's not necessarily the kind of fight you have to take. But is, is there a little danger in taking a fight with this guy? Uh, there's always danger. I mean, he is in the UFC uh, at the end of the day. There's a reason they picked him, or that he that he's in the UFC. He's actually got, he, you know, he has some good talent, um, but like I said, I, I was not sure if he's put it all together yet. And that's the great thing about getting paid to fight. You get to test that. We get to test <laughs> what he's what he's done, what he's experienced, versus what I've done, what I've experienced. And I, you know, I bet on me 100 percent of the time. Uh, I'm definitely battle tested. And, uh, and yeah, I've, I've seen a lot, learned a lot over the years. Well, and let's get a prediction then. Are we going to get to see the uh, the second Devin Clark finish come August 13th? Uh, possibly, possibly. Uh, I think that's like one of the top rules, never chase a finish. Let it come naturally. 
And if I do everything right that I know how to do and how we kind of think this fight will go, the finish will come. Um, or you'll just see a, a bloody Az- Azamat, whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this is Devin the Brown Bear Clark, who fights Azamat Mirzakhanov at UFC San Diego on August 13th. Devin, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Devin the Brown Bear Clark. I, once again, am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by Kurt Chase Patrick. Kurt, before we get into this UFC San Diego card, which is pretty damn exciting, uh, I want to talk about something else that's pretty damn exciting and that is all of these fight bookings we're getting the most recent rumblings is the ufc in madison square garden pay-per-view is going to be headlined by israel Desanya versus alex paeta and co-headlined by dustin poyer versus michael chandler your thoughts on those two phenomenal matchups hey man thank you for having me on the show i always appreciate it um yeah i i uh i gotta say i'm a little upset uh, well, that's that's the wrong word. I was really hoping they were going to announce Jones for Stipe for MSG. Um, but, I mean, Adesanya, Pereira, can't go wrong with that. They have such a backstory, uh, which makes it kind of crazy. You know, Pereira's, what, f- four, maybe five fights into his UFC career, and he's already getting a title shot. But he does hold two victories over um, Israel Adesanya, albeit in another sport. And then Michael Chandler, Chandler Dustin Poirier, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And that's like... We had those group, that group of like all action, just just blood and guts warriors, right? The the Eddie Alvarez's, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje. This is one of the fights that hasn't happened yet, and uh, again, it makes a lot of sense. Um, if you look at their rankings, they both lost to Charles. They both fought for the title. Um, I the the only thing I ask is that they really do make this bad boy co-main five rounds because these guys deserve it although i i really couldn't see it hitting five rounds i i would just like the thought of it being five rounds possibly seeing a fourth and the fifth but i absolutely love that fight i love the adesani Pereira fight um i'm a local i'm in connecticut so i will definitely be at that one yeah I, being a northeast guy i love when they they load up the msg shows or you know like the one they had in the barclays all that time ago which was uh Cejudo versus tj dillashaw that one was loaded up as well I, I like that they load up northeastern cards and i completely agree with you on the five round nature of it I, mostly like you said i i can't see it going a full five rounds but at the same time like part of me imagines a scenario where we're done with three rounds and there's, you know, like, you know, round one, clearly to, to Poirier, who comes out strong round three to Chandler, who decided his wrestling works in the third round and some weird toss up second round. And we're just never satisfied for the rest of our lives because that a, a three round decision just can't settle that for us. So, yeah, that that would be kind of criminal if they didn't. And, and you know what, too? They, they've made a habit out of making five round co-main events, right? Nate Diaz got that treatment. If Nate yeah. Diaz can get that treatment, can't we give it to Poirier? Yeah, I, I agree, man. This it, it's, it just makes sense. I mean, the winner of this, uh, especially if it's Chandler, probably fights for a title again, honestly. I mean, who else is there if you win? I mean, well, there's a lot at lightweight, but Chandler's got a big name. He's been a big company guy. I mean, the fight is awesome. I don't know if you heard the interview yesterday. I, I believe, I want to say he might have done it with uh, MMA fighting, where he kind of said that he's hitting Puri at the right time. And I'm going to be honest with you, man, I kind of agree. 
Uh, Chandler is older than Poirier, but I feel like he has a little bit more fire in him right now. Where Poirier, you know, he's coming off the two Connor mega fights. He had the letdown against Oliveira, where Chandler, you know, I mean, Chandler's just kind of like, you know, what, what did he say? He's not here for a long time. He's here for a good time or whatever. <laughs> I, I feel like, honestly, he might be hitting Poirier at a good time. Like he said, I would favor Chandler ever so slightly. But, man, if you picked a a, a a winner in that fight, you can't have much confidence either way. It would be an absolute banger. And, uh, yeah, dude, five fight, five rounds makes a ton of sense for that one. And and you know what, too? I, I think I'm, I'm with you at least on my first reaction, and I'll I'll make an actual pick when we get a little bit closer. I, I think my gut reaction, too, is I do lean towards Michael Chandler, who, by the way, if you're looking in, in early postings, has been off at like a plus 140 underdog. I, I don't know how long that'll stay that way. But, like, I lean a little bit to him, too. But just because uh, I think the thing that's always kind of given Poye trouble is when somebody, like, matches his intensity. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. Oliveira did that a little bit, right? Oliveira, granted, not in the early parts of the fight where Poye just beat the hell out of him. But then, like, he got after Poye. And, like, it's not like Michael Chandler has any issues getting after somebody, as we saw with Justin Gaethje and, you know, Tony Ferguson, although he got hit kind of early in that Ferguson fight too. But like, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm going to have to marinate on it a little bit. And, and especially on the Izzy Pereira fight too. I just don't know what to make a Pereira with but like no fights yet. I have no idea who I'm picking in that one. Um, But yeah, that, that card is absolutely loaded and it comes right after that UFC 280 card, which is like the most loaded oh, yes. pay-per-view I've ever, their prelims look like, like the, it would be the best fight night ever. Uh, cause like <laughs> that the, card is it, insane. The, the prelims, the prelims have Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos. The prelims have Manon Firo and Caitlin Chokagian and Kai Bahaio versus Mahmoud Muradov. And did I see Nikita Krylov and Ozdemir are going to be on the prelims? Like, that's insane. Like, that, that you would never think that. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to both of those cards. But before we get to those cards, we do have to get you to... UFC San Diego, which is this weekend. We'll, of course, be breaking down that as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll give you three fight breakdowns, an underdog, and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. But before we get to that, I do have to let you know that this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out there trying to help the public make money on you. UFC and MMA in general for one super low fee. You get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record who gives you full breakdowns, parlays, and their official bets. But that's not all. For the same great price, you get access to their brand new Bayes AI prediction software, which uses advanced algorithms that they are constantly tweaking to give you percentages on every possible outcome for every single UFC fight. They've got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a daily fantasy one if that's your gig. So go check them out at MMAplay365.com. And don't forget to use promo code TOPTURTLE for 10% off their annual package. That's MMAplay365. All right. So with that all out of the way, UFC San Diego is coming to you live from the Pachanga Arena in San Diego, California, obviously. Headline by Marlon Vera and Dominic Cruz. So let's get right into that main event. We've got Marlon Vera betting off as a negative 190 favorite. He's coming off three straight wins over Davy Grant, Frankie Edgar, and the most recent one, a damn impressive performance over Rob Font. And of course, he's going to be fighting the former champion in Dominic Cruz, who's been out for almost a year. We haven't seen him in about eight months. Uh, of course, eight months ago, he did beat Pedro Munoz. And before that, he had a split decision win 
over Casey Kenny. Um, pre- previous to that, the loss comes to Henry Cejudo and, of course, the title loss to Cody Garbrandt as well. So he is on a two-fight winning streak up against the youngster Marlon Vera, who's on a three-fight winning streak. Dominic Cruz, the plus 160 underdog. Who you got? This is a this is a tough one, man, because Marlon Vera has been on an absolute tear. And, I mean, he's looked extremely good. And if you look down his record, I mean, outside of that Jose Aldo loss, he's, you know, he's on he's been winning since 2018. Yeah, he lost to Song Gadong, but I think you can agree that most of us thought he won that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you said, man, that last performance against Rob Font, who, you know, I'm sure you're just as familiar with I am being a uh, – Massachusetts guy, I mean, Rob Font is no freaking joke. And for Marlon Verita to, I mean, dude, Rob Font's face after that fight was just picked apart. Marlon Verita is super well-rounded. He's good on the ground. He's got great stand-up. He's tough as nails. And Marlon Verita is one of those guys that, like, he's got, like, that little bit of edge to him. But I'm always, I I always get a little bit hesitant picking against Dominic Cruz because, I mean, look at who Dominic Cruz has lost to. Henry Cejudo. Cody Garbrandt before Cody Garbrandt's chin fell off a cliff. And then you got to go all (laughs) the way back to 2007 to find his last loss. I mean, Dominic Cruz said himself, ring rust is not a thing. He showed it many times. So, so him being out for a while doesn't really, you know, affect, or I I guess I would say, I would say like sway me either way in picking. Um, This is, this is a real tough one. And I do like, the booking, because it kind of feels like Dominic Cruz is, you know, again, I don't think he's going to get a title shot with a win here, but it, it this might be like his last shot at staying completely relevant in that title picture, right? Because if he loses mm-hmm. here, you know, I mean, he could retire. He could become like that uh, gatekeeper to the stars fight, man. I still want to see him fight uh, Frankie Edgar and, and Jose Aldo, but yep. um, man, if I had to make a pick... As hard as it is to pick against Dominic Cruz, dude, I think Marlon Vera is just on fire right now. His striking looks great. Dom is always tough to to deal with on the feet with his movement and uh, his feints. But, uh, you know, Dominic Cruz being 36 years old, I don't think he's going to be as spry as he once was. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting early. I think he is going to give Marlon Vera some fits, but in the long run, I think Vera is going to get to him. And I think Vera probably finishes him late, maybe like the fourth or fifth round. Yeah, I I like that pick a lot. I'm taking Marlon Vera as well. And I I agree with all of your sentiments about Dominic Cruz and feeling bad about like picking against him. And it it like feels wrong to just count him out because, you know, like you said, the funky footwork, his wrestling, and, and, you know, he's got so many facets to his game that we constantly overlook because he's been out for so long. Now, he doesn't think that bothers him so much, but I'm starting to think his age does in addition to the amount of time he's been out. And like you said, Marlon Vera's performance against Rob Font just shows you he is continuing to get better all the time. So, yeah, I'm going with Vera too. And I'll tell you one other sneaky little stat that I found uh, that that gives me a little bit more pause, even on Dominic Cruz, is that in those last two fights, he fought Pedro Munoz and he fought Casey Kenny. In those two fights, he shot 18 takedowns in those two fights. He scored three of them. Uh, and, and not that Casey Kenny's not a good wrestler, not that Pedro Munoz doesn't have some solid grappling, but you don't think of them as like the elite level guy who's going to shut down the wrestling of a champion. Um, and, and Dominic Cruz, damn good champion. I mean, you go back, he, he took down uh, TJ Dillashaw a couple of times to like secure that weird split decision win in Boston. So 
for his wrestling to have fallen off that much, I think that's an indicator of bigger fall loss for Dom Cruz. So I, too, will be taking Marlon Vera. We'll be on the same page in that one. And let's see if we're on the same page in the second one, which is Cynthia Calvijo fighting up at uh, Flyweight yet again. She is riding a three-fight losing streak. She's lost to Caitlin Chokagian, Jessica Andrade, and Andrea Lee. Of course, not, not two terrible names there to uh, be all that much ashamed about which is probably why she's still listed as a negative 150 favorite here uh, against Nina Nunez. Nina Nunez is moving up to flyweight for the very first time. She, on the other hand, is coming off of a two-fight losing streak in her own right. Now, that two-fight losing streak, both down at straw weight, to Tatiana Suarez and Mackenzie Dern. Certainly, again, no shame in losing to those names right there. But we've got one fighter coming off of a three-fight winning streak, one fighter coming off of a two-fight losing streak, and coming up a weight class, Nina Nunez, the plus-130 underdog. Who you got in this one? This is a tough one, and I didn't realize that Cynthia Calvillo was 35 years old. I was kind of under the impression she's still, like— Shots her, every time. <laughs> yeah, I was under the impression that she was maybe like 31, 32. I've always been pretty high on Cynthia, and uh, you know, I'm I'm still gonna ride her here. I I still think she has a lot of of you know, she's a great wrestler, she's a great grappler, she can strike, she's tough. Nunez had a little bit of a a streak going right before she ran into the buzzsaw that is Tatiana Suarez. And man, I hope someday not to off track a bit but i hope we can get tatiana suarez back amen amen but uh yeah i mean losing to suarez and dern she kind of came down to earth uh a little bit you know it, it was kind of the same thing with that i think hit amanda news that in that first juliana Pena fight where she's got a lot going out outside of the cage because you have to think uh nina nunez she she has the the new baby she's got the home life she's been and i'm sure that this has been close to as much of a stress on her as it has for uh for amanda i mean she's been dealing with the whole juliana Payne rivalry and getting a man mm -hmm. prepared mentally physically for that i just think she's got a lot uh going on outside of the cage you know i, I don't know how hungry she is anymore calvillo definitely needs to win although nina nunez does but i'm riding with calvillo here i think she's going to be savvy enough on the mat to get some takedowns when she needs to i think it's going to be a close fight but i, I think calvillo edges it out by decision so I'm going to differ with you on this one, actually. I'm going to take Nina Nunez, the underdog here, and, and for a couple of reasons. You know, you you mentioned that you think that it, it's probably weighing pretty heavily on her, and I agree. I think the coaching of her, her wife, I, I think all of the rivalry, being on the Ultimate Fighter, all that kind of stuff weighed on her for a really long time. But also in the same token, too, I think it weighed on her in, in probably the pregnancy, too. Like, you know, like that's the elephant in the room, too. She hasn't won since she came back from that. Uh, but like, also, I think that's probably because she was down at straw weight, a, a division that doesn't look like it fits her body anymore. She looks like she put on a ton of muscle. She looks like she's much more jacked than she used to be. And she fought two of the greatest grapplers in the straw weight division, maybe in the straw weight division's history, Tatiana Suarez and Mackenzie Dern. So for like her to have stood on the ground with both of those two, and, and she did with Tatiana Suarez for 15 minutes and she did damn near for a whole round with Mackenzie Dern. It gives me a lot of confidence in her her defensive grappling. It also gives me a lot of confidence in her defensive takedowns. Because like you said, I, I think for for real, Cynthia Calvijo is somebody who would really rely on her wrestling and needs to really rely on her wrestling. I think if she gets it shut down a couple of times, I think she's just going to wear herself out trying to get that. And Nunes, I think, is at the end of the day, probably the cleaner boxer and the crisper boxer. So I'm going to take a little stab on the underdog here. I like Nina Nunes uh, at plus 130. 
And that brings us to our very last fight that we'll be breaking down before we hit you with that underdog and that parlay. And that is Lupi Lupita Godinez versus Angela Hill. Godinez, right in a two-fight winning streak since bumping up on short notice, up a weight class on it was six days notice, and losing to Luana Carolina. She's rattled off two straight, very impressive wins over Loma Lukabume and Ariane Carnalosi. Angela Hill, meanwhile, is not on a good run. Uh, she has lost three in a row. Uh, Vierna Jandarova, Amanda Lemos, and Tisha Torres have all taken her to the cards and beat her. Before that, she did beat Ashley Yoder, but had split decision losses to Michelle Waterson and Claudia Cadalia before that. So we are talking about one in five in her last six fights. Of course, I haven't mentioned the odds yet. Lupita Godinez is betting off as a negative 240 favorite. Angela Hill, plus 280. So I got to ask, like, is there any liveness in this dog or are we riding the hot hand in loopy? I think there is a lot of liveness in this dog, man. I, and if you look at Angela Hill, I mean, she's been right there with a lot of really good fighters. Some of those split decisions, even some of those unanimous decisions probably could have gone her way. She seems like she always has kind of bad luck on the scorecards. And I think where she struggled is she can't necessarily beat the elites. And I think a lot of it is because she – not doesn't necessarily have like that it factor right like she's a good striker she has good grappling but she doesn't really have that 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 finishing power to kind of put her over the edge and uh lupi gonzalez has looked or uh, godinez i should say has looked solid in her uh ufc career so far but i don't think she's on that level of the fighter that generally beats um Angela Hill, because if you look at these, yeah, she's one in five in her last fights, but the losses, Claudia Gadelia, former title challenger, Michelle Watterson, she's been a stud forever, Tisha Torres, stud, Amanda Lemos, got a big fight coming up, Verna Jandaroba, very underrated, like she's she's losing to very, very good fighters, Um, I think she's, I think she's going to pull this one out, man, I think, I think. It, you know, it's crazy, she might even get a split decision going her way, I think she's crafty <laughs> enough to, to, um, stop a lot of things that Godini is as good at. I think it's going to be a really close fight, but I think she's going to get the nod on the cards in this one and uh, kind of keep herself, you know, I guess still in the mix, right? I mean, one in five in her last six does not look good, but a win here, she's always one of those fighters that is game. She takes short notice fights and she's really a company person. She's also great on the mic too. So I like Angela Hill with the plus odds to pull one out here. Yeah, I will say, so if you ask me to pick this fight with a gun to my head and say you, you, know, you have to pick the winner, I'm definitely picking Lupita Godinez. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit higher on her wrestling than I think a lot of people are. I think what she did to Ariane Carnalosi is a good sign of like what we're going to see out of her style for a while. And I think it's going to play against tons of people in that division. Like, I, I think she can foul, you know, she's not uh Tatiana Suarez but like I think she can follow a Tatiana Suarez-esque path here to beating a lot of people. But with that being said, like at these odds, yeah, I think you either bet on Angela Hill or you just pass on this fight because there, there's no reason to bet Lupita Godinez as like a two and a half to one favorite. I, I don't think she's quite that that much better than Angela Hill. And like you said, Angela Hill in all of those razor close decisions. Do you really want to be biting your nails at a negative 240 play uh, with with somebody who's, you know, just barely edging out a win over Angela Hill? So. I like Godinez. I will say Angela Hill stuffing, you know, I think she stuffed five out of eight of, of Vierna Jandaroba's takedowns. Ooh, that, that's going to give you some pause too. But uh, at the end of the day, I think Luby gets just enough 
that like, hey, you're maybe right. Maybe we see a split decision here and uh, they just favored enough of that top control time for Loopy. So I'll, I'll take the favorite in this one, but it is definitely a closer fight than the odds suggest. Now it is time for us to dig into our underdog to play. Uh, I'm going to let the guests go first in this one. So, Kurt, uh, who do you got circled as your underdog to play this weekend? This may seem kind of crazy, but this man has surprised me quite a few times before. I'm going with Gerald Mearshart. And Gerald Mearshart is a plus 240, 250 dog. So you get some good value on him. He's not a close dog where you're kind of scratching your head as why, you know, why should I throw some money on that? Like I said, he's played about a plus 240, plus 250. Gerald Mearshart is a submission specialist, right? He has, uh, I had this circle, he has 26 submissions <laughs> on his resume. Bruno Silva has five submissions, albeit he hasn't been submitted in, you know, a while. His last submission was 2016. He was on a bit of a run before he fought and lost to Alex Pereira, who we talked about before, is going to be fighting for the UFC title coming up. I just like Gerald Mearshart, man. I think he's a wily vet. Um, he's probably going to get hurt on the feet. Um, Bruno Silva does have some power, but man, if he can get you to the mat and he might even be followed to the mat after a knockdown, I think he's super dangerous here. I like him with the dog odds. I'm going with, uh, Gerald Mearshart plus 250. I love that one. As a matter of fact, I had two of them circled. He was the second one. I wound up pushing it aside. I did get him when he fought, uh, Mahmoud Muradov. It was like plus 430 or something like exactly right yeah my point exactly he's never out he's never out of that place so I, i did like him as well but my official underdog pick the one i'm gonna go in uh, I'm going to take Devin Clark over Azamat Mirzakhanov. I, I, like I think that. people, yeah, I think people see the last name Mirzakhanov and it's like, oh, this guy is going to out-wrestle everybody. Right? Smash like that's, Factory. Yeah, Smash Factory. He's won in for his six takedowns that he shot, and he hasn't fought good wrestlers. He's fought Matthew Sheffel in, in Contender Series, and then he fought Tafon Chukwi. Neither of those two guys are guys we think of wrestlers, and they're not particularly big dudes either. Whereas Devin Clark is a big freaking light heavyweight. We just saw him up at heavyweight and he didn't look like he was, you know, not fit for that division whatsoever. In addition to that, I love the fact that he's changed his training camp, right? Like no offense to Jackson Wink. It just doesn't seem like Jackson Wink is the right place for people to go when they want to turn their careers around anymore. He goes to team elevation and now he's training wrestling with Curtis Blades every single day. Like, dude, sign me up for that version of Devin Clark because I think it's going to start knocking people out and having the wrestling offense that we, we know he's got there. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Devin Clark here over Azamat Mirzakhanov. But, hey, I'm also riding with Gerald Mearshart. So, that brings us to the final part, the part that I personally like the best. And that is our parlay to play for plus 100 odds or better. What are you putting together? So, I like Yusef, Laza- uh, Yusef Zalal. Sorry for... Uh, um stuttering i like him paired with gabriel mogli benitez gabriel benitez and you you're gonna get these odds at about plus 136 uh benitez the favorite i mean mogli is just an all-action fighter uh charlie antiveros a salad this should be another just just action fight you might be biting your teeth a little bit but i think gabriel benitez gets it done and yusuf salal although he's on what is he's on i believe a three fight losing streak but in my opinion that's a little bit um i'm still pretty high on him man and you're gonna get him at plus i mean uh minus 120 against damon blackshear i just think zalal still has a bit 
in the tank. I think he's really solid. Again, he lost three straight, but I think he writes the ship, gets it done, and uh, that's my parlay I'm taking. This is a lull paired with Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. I like that. And for the record, too, so I, I am also going to be adding Gabriel Benitez here um, as part of mine. But, like, before we get to mine, they are decision losses, first of all, three in a row for, for Yusuf Zalal. Ilya Tapuria, Sung right. Choi, and Sean Woodson by split. Like, come on. You can't get too mad at that guy. Plus, he's going to be facing DeMond Blackshear on crazy short notice. He was supposed to fight Christian Keenanez instead. So, like, hey, you got to be pumped about that fact uh, that, you know, DeMond Blackshear isn't getting a full camp while he did. So I'm going to differ ever so slightly because I am a little bit more worried about the wrestling offense of DeMond Blackshear against Yusuf's Law. But I'm going to ride with you and, and Gabriel Benitez is the first part of my parlay. I think he for sure just absolutely smashes Charlie on Tiveros on the mat. We, we saw Charlie on Tiveros. Look like he's got some real skills on the feet against Steve Garcia and then just see Steve Garcia take over and take him right to the ground and do whatever he wants with him. So I think Benitez has that option all the time. And who knows? Maybe it just works out on the feet. and Benitez wins there, too. Uh, and I'm going to pair him instead with David Onama at negative 190. Uh, when you pair those two together, you're going to get it at like plus 102. So I'm I'm barely edging into our, our rule of a plus money under or a plus money partway here. But I'm going to take David Onama at plus 190 over Nate Landwehr. I think just like the fact that Nate Landwehr likes to go in and bang, that sounds like a dumb move against David Onama. And I just don't <laughs> you know, like David Onama hits so fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's wild how hard, how much power he generates every single time we see him in there. And he's one of those guys who like earned my respect by stepping in on short notice, fighting up a weight class. And just like going to war for 15 minutes in a fight he had no business being in. Um, and, and since then has looked on incredible in his actual weight class. So I think Nate Landwehr is going to go in there, want to trade with him. And I think he's just going to eat one of those right hands big. So my official parlay here will be David Onama and Gabriel Benitez plus 103. And that's going to do it for this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. But don't go anywhere just yet. We do have one more special treat for you guys. Uh, ending out this show this week will be our interview with Tyson Nam. Tyson Nam getting ready to fight O'Day Osborne on this very show. So before we get to that interview for you guys, uh, we do have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Tyson Nam. All right, and joining me today is Tyson Nam, who fights O'Day Osborne at UFC San Diego, that fight on August 13th. So, Tyson, I, I wanted to start by talking about your last fight. Obviously, kind of a frustrating split decision loss to Matt Schnell. And now we see Matt Schnell coming off of this, like, massive come-from-behind win, getting all this publicity, jumping up in the rankings. Is it frustrating to see him doing that well after that win, or is it, you know, more, like, inspiring, like, knowing you know you belong up there? I mean, ne never frustrating. I mean, it was a close fight. It was a good battle. Um, it always seems like uh, these uh, these guys that I fight, they always seem to do a lot better. Say, you know, like Sergio Pettis, Kai Kara, and uh, Matt Schnell, man, they seem to be doing good. So, I mean, I, I, I feel like I should have been here a long time ago. Yeah, and it, it was it, you know, I know obviously there, there were all kinds of things that were, you know, hang-ups back then. I mean, you beat the Bellator champ at one point in time, right? But 
what what was it to you that that felt like was the reason you were kind of waiting on the outside and, and never got that call? Oh, um, that it, it was always either contract dispute, you know, right place, right time. If I'm stuck in something, you know, I was stuck in that Bellator dispute, and then I was uh, stuck fighting in Russia where they wouldn't let me out. So it took all the way until uh, what was it, 2019, till till I was able to uh, make my presence in the UFC. And do you feel like, you know, like obviously some people have said before that, like, you know, it's it's all for the best. I got to the UFC at the right time or I got to the UFC, you know, when I had learned enough and all that kind of stuff. Do, do you feel that way or do you feel like you, you might have missed some of your, your prime years there battling out with, with promotions rather than fighters? Even though it took me a, a very long road to get here, I really honestly do believe now that I uh, came in at the right time. Because I, I've always thought of myself as a late bloomer. And um, with, with everything, whether it was a maturing, whether it was a, a playing sports and now uh, mixed martial arts, I, I, I really do that. I still feel I'm in my prime. I feel better in my, uh, in my 30s now than even when I was in my uh, 20s, actually, just through, um, you know, trial and error, uh, knowledge of the sport what I should be eating, how I should be treating my body. So I really do feel that me coming in 2019 with all of this uh, knowledge um, and and uh, not too much of a, a bang-the-body. I didn't grow up wrestling like a bunch of my friends. I learned it at the right time, and I feel I'm, yeah, I, I, I really did come into the UFC uh, when I should have. Well, that's great to hear. Now, you know, you said you didn't grow up wrestling, but I, I did see that you shared on social media that you did do judo for a decade as a child. How come we don't see too much of that version of Tyson Nam? Was was there ever a time we saw more of a, a judo MMA version um, of Tyson Nam? It it's all it, it's always there, but for some reason, when you're getting a uh, punched and kicked, uh, throwing somebody, um, a hip tossing someone doesn't seem to be like the uh, the go to uh, move at the very moment. So. You know, it's always there, but it hasn't uh, it hasn't came out yet. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's good to know. It's in the holster if we ever need to see it. Now, you you mentioned in there that you know you you came to the UFC at the right time. You're a late bloomer, but at the same time, it's it, you've you've had a lot of cancellations here. You've had a lot of fights that have fallen through, including two in the last couple of months against Talir or Tagir Lombakov, rather. Is that a frustrating thing in there? Have you been itching to get back since that Schnell fight? I um I did I was uh, supposed to have fought a month ago uh to uh to gear and uh second time it kind of happened so I'm pretty sure that that's kind of uh uh never to be tried or 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 done again just because I just I mean two times that that's just a uh, bad bad luck already so we won't try that again but uh a, a month later not a problem not a problem I mean uh I get to fight in San Diego I haven't uh fought there I, I i might have drove through there before but i get to go to san diego uh should be nice weather something similar to hawaii so i'm looking forward to that cool yeah and, and obviously the live crowd piece to it too you know so many people fighting in the apex nowadays and stuff you do get a chance to fight in front of the live crowd do you feel like you're the the type of fighter who feeds off of that kind of thing it's been such a while that i've actually fought in front of a, a live crowd that it might actually take me by surprise <laughs> Just a little, just a little bit, 
just a little bit. I, I've been doing this professionally since 2006, so it ain't nothing new, but it, it, it it's just been a, a little bit of time. Um, you know, I really did like the, the no crowd. It was, uh, uh, when you're in the back room, there's not, you know, you don't hear the, the yelling and the screaming, you know, which just adds to your nerves. So I kind of got used to that, but, um, the uh, crowd is back, and um, I, I think I think I will be excited when I do actually hear these uh, these screams and everybody uh, chanting or maybe even booing. It doesn't matter. Noise is noise, and uh, we're gonna put on a great show. Oh, I love that mentality. Now you you mentioned that this fight is only a month after those two fights or those two different dates you had with Tiguru Lombakov. This fight does seem to have come together really quickly. In, in fact, I'm, at the time of us talking right now, I'm not even sure the UFC has it listed on their website as being an official fight yet. Did, did it all come together quickly for you, too? Or did you know that, like, you know, this date was a possibility, you know, a little bit longer than we have? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure that uh, Ode and myself, we was uh, let known very uh, last minute, um, last, last week, exactly. So we didn't have a... Uh, too much uh time for a full full training camp but i mean we're fighters we always gotta stay ready if you want to be professional stay ready and when uh when they call you you're not going to be uh worrying about uh maybe i should maybe i shouldn't am i going to make the weight am i not gonna you know we're, we're we're ready we're we're in the the ufc and this is our life and uh we're ready to go well, that's good, too. And obviously you had the, the training camps for Tagir in there as well. So I'm, I'm sure that doesn't hurt. But also, you know, Ode obviously is a much different fighter than Tagir Lombakov. What are sort of your thoughts on the style that he brings, especially being like a much longer fighter than, than most of those in the flyweight division? I like it a lot. I, I was watching him through the, the pandemic. We beat um, a lot of uh, uh, the, the same opponents that we both had. So it only makes sense that uh, we fight each other. Yeah, with his uh, length and his uh, reach, very, very uh, lengthy for um, the flyweight division. But I've been training with bigger guys with longer reach than that from when I started. So it, I'm pretty sure I'll be uh, well ready and equipped uh, to to handle that um, that that length. Now, he's also a guy who's on a couple fight win streak. He's got a little bit of momentum behind him. And in, in, in that win streak, he's really fallen in love with throwing leather. He's a guy who's got a little bit of a wrestling in his background, but he has really fallen in love with boxing. Is, is this a guy who you expect to try to stand in front of you for 15 minutes? Or do you think, you know, one of those Tyson name right hands and suddenly he wants to grapple? You know, I'm I'm pretty sure we want to throw down him. I know uh, for I, I'm pretty sure I'm thinking that himself and I know for myself that we like to put on exciting fights. We want to see um, we want to see the the, the fans uh, yelling and screaming from uh, punches, kicks, knockouts. Um, it's it's just in our in our blood. It's in our in our DNA that we wanna we want to have an exciting fight in San Diego. Well, we would love to see that as well. Now, before I let you go, I always like to get a prediction out of my fighters. How do you see this one ending on August 13th? K.O. Nothing less. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This is Ben Tyson Nam, who fights O'Day Osborne at UFC San Diego. That fight, August 13th. Tyson, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. 
We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, and of course, MMA Play 365. And as a reminder, you can check us out on the socials at Top Turtle MMA in both Instagram and Twitter. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He was Kurt Chase Patrick, and we will see you then.